Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today we're going to hear a conversation between Shauna Holm and Mariana Dinkova. Now, during their conversation, you're going to learn a lot more about Mariana, but I would like to add that she received her initial training in psychology studies at Vienna University and at the Free University in Berlin. And in 2003, she completed her MA in counseling psychology at the California Association of Integral Studies in San Francisco. Now, in my opinion, one of the issues that could use more attention in the psychedelic community is, uh, well, for lack of a better word, education. Education in how to handle ourselves before, during, and after a psychedelic experience. And I'm not talking about uh, just more books or podcasts, but hands-on training about how to best use these powerful substances. And if you've been hanging around the salon here for a while, you already know how I had to uh, more or less stumble and fall my way through a lot of experimentation that really could have been eliminated very easily if our community had a long-standing tradition of teaching one another how to best navigate psychedelic space. Well, over the past few decades, a lot of progress has been made in building such a tradition. And today, we are very fortunate to have with us two women whose lives are now pretty much shaped by building some new traditions among the worldwide psychedelic community. You already know our frequent correspondent, Shauna Holm, and with Shauna today is Mariana Dinkova, who, as you'll soon hear, is quite a remarkable person. Okay, so I am here once again, Shauna Holm, and I am speaking with a really fascinating woman today, uh, Mariana Dinkova. And I'm just going to read her bio, and then we will launch into what I think is going to be a really fascinating conversation. So Mariana Dinkova is a Bay Area-based psychotherapist, speaker, and workshop leader, teaching workshops in the U.S. and internationally. She's developed a unique system of psychological and neo-shamanistic inner space navigation tools for navigating non-ordinary states of consciousness and the ayahuasca experience. These tools are designed to maximize the experience and provide the opportunity for learning and healing while safely navigating the inner landscapes and avoiding common pitfalls. Learning how to use our consciousness in these ways can enrich our psychonaut toolkit and empower our inner shaman. Mariana also organizes retreats to Peru in which she combines her work with the medicine work of experienced shamans. And for those out there who are interested in learning her system of navigation tools but can't make her retreats, she is available via Skype. So you can contact Mariana via her website, which is marianadinkova.com, and that is spelled M-E-R-I-A-N-A-D-I-N-K-O-V-A dot com. And so, Mariana, welcome Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh yeah, this is this is so cool. Uh, just to let everyone know, Bruce Damer put us together. He sent us both an email saying, I think you two need to have a conversation. And he thought Mariana would be a really great choice uh, for a conversation such as this. And, and uh, so after she and I had a talk recently, and I have to say I quite agree. <laughs> so... Uh, so yeah, I want to get right to talking about your work with the ayahuasca, Mariana. 
And uh, I'm always curious to know, first of all, what led you to that amazing plant teacher? Mm, that was a long time ago. And that was a while. I think I was around 21. I'm 40 right now. Mm-hmm. And I was in Ibiza. And I know that a lot of people's reaction to hearing in, about ayahuasca is like, wow, she's such a big force. I want to wait until the right time for her to come into my life. I know that for me, I heard about her. I heard that there are ceremonies and I was like, I'm going to track her down. (laughs) So it was very much as soon as I heard about her and the kind of experiences people were having, I was very much like, where can I find somebody who can introduce me to her? So it was an instant resonance and then also in the very first ceremony I had uh, with a Brazilian shaman, Yatra, who introduced me to the medicine at the time. It was one of the biggest, it's still probably one of the biggest experiences of my life. Well, let's hear about it. um, That was also the first ceremony. I mean, what Yatra did is something that I had never heard any other shaman do, which is one of the reasons why I actually developed the system of working with ayahuasca, because I think it was extremely important to know, which is at the beginning of the journey, she said... um, by the way, if you die, that's fine. It's a, it's just an experience. I guarantee you're going to be back. Have the experience. Take notes. You will be back, but let yourself have the experience. So I remember that it, this, it, this, and that is a, something so important to know, and that's one of the things that teach people is since it's one of the big things that can happen with ayahuasca. There is a reason she's called the vine of the death, that she is also the teacher of the veil, that we can go through the death veil and beyond and beyond and experience the other realms and come back and it's safe. And I know that so many people who don't know that and who have not been told that that's not something scary to be afraid of, but almost equivalent to a cosmic jackpot, you get to check out <laughs> the forbidden lands and come back, so to say. And I know so many of my friends, actually, who spend half of their journey fighting the death experience instead of being happy that they get a chance. But in that particular experience, I, was, I did go through the death veil. It was the experience of having like that how natural it was. And how um, my human self was such a small part of who I was. So after kind of closing down and shutting down all the, the human programs, I ended up in this humongous self, which was so multidimensional. It was like abiding in so many worlds. So much of it was beyond space-time. I wouldn't say that was just universal consciousness. It still had my own formula. But it was kind of the experience like, oh, little Mariana died. It was like, oh, the, the, the Pac-Man program in my big computer just shut down all to bed. It was kind of the experience of how little of me in this big self actually had death in the system. It was almost, it was obvious as if only a part of your left hand can die, but the rest is immortal and beyond time space and always will be there. And ayahuasca almost like gave me a humongous slideshow. I mean, it was almost made like a YouTube tutorial, I could say, with all the visuals and all the explanations and the audio explanations about the nature of the cycle, the nature of the universe, the nature of time and space, the nature of all the spiritual readings, uh, teachings, the nature of all the channeled books I have ever read, including the parts I had never understood because I was like, what do you mean your birth and your death is there there at all times? And then Ayahuasca would come, like, would come and tell me all 
this concept is because time is simultaneous. This is how it works. It's all one big thing, including all the probabilities. And it was like amazing to the way she broke down to me the nature of existence almost in a way that it was way beyond anything I could I could have expected possible, including also the nature of meditation. She was going, like, I mean, coming almost like, and she had almost a sense of humor, but not as much as mushrooms. Like, mushrooms are funny. Mm-hmm. She's kind of more the grandma who comes and kind of lovingly gives you the teachings in a way. And I remember her even explaining me meditation with going like, so do you know what they meant with this thing, with being present to the moment? This is what happens. You take the moment and you become really present to it. And she almost helped me how to almost stop it and hold it down and go in. And then the moment opened up as this intergalactic, multidimensional entry station from where if you really get present to it, you can go everywhere. And all these other realms were available from there. I was like, that's what the yogis were trying to do. Now I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, this is really fascinating, Mariana, because uh, when I work with the mushroom medicine, the medicine calls me. And when I feel the call, I feel the medicine saying, it is time to die again. Mm-hmm. And and so it's just so interesting because uh, uh, I, I, too, have experienced a similar piece to, to this, and and what comes to me is that every time I do the medicine, uh, a, a part of me dies just mm. from doing the med because you are so uh, expanded and you are open to uh, just incredible awareness, and and then it's like the part of you, you know, that existed prior to that. Uh, mm goes away, dies, dies away, has to, has to, so we can uh, absorb uh, more of this awareness. And then, of course, I have had uh, an experience where I, I did go through like a, a full death or what felt, right, like a, a death process, which uh, I did not fight either because, of course, the other side of that was was absolutely ex- extraordinary. But I, I just find this so interesting and how interesting that we are beginning with death here, <laughs> the death process in ayahuasca. And as you say, that uh, that can be really highly challenging and traumatizing to people. And, and so you referred to yourself as the before and after woman when we were talking. And so why don't you explain that and that'll tie us in here. Um, I have been a geek, and I would call it a geek, actually, on collecting and um, making up and coming up with techniques of how to work with consciousness in altered states. I remember since I first was introduced to mushrooms when I was 18, and um, also to marijuana and hash and things like that. The way my brain worked was, and the way my body worked, was that I was getting humongous downloads about how to work with consciousness in those states. And I remember writing notes about it since I was a teenager. So I know that I have a very analytic mind that naturally breaks things down into units and into techniques. So when, and my body, and I'm very pretty in touch with my body and the experience there. So when I started working with different medicines, so I know that since then um, I would, naturally be going into really deeply meditation uh, med- meditative states i have been studying meditation since i was 17 and also reading different uh, non-dualistic teachers since that time and i started going to india since i was 19 so i had a lot of background from pretty early and those medicines were giving me experiences of 
what it means to be present, of what it means to dive into different energetics, of what it means to shift things energetically that then have healing aspects in the body from a very early age, as well as how to use the ability of my, of my consciousness and my focus and my ability to visualize and my ability to move in order to shift um, information constructs, in order to elevate my consciousness, in order to center deeper, deeper, in order to be more present and in order to break through to other realms. So that has been been coming pretty naturally to me since a young age, but including the ability to break it down in steps. And there's been always been the desire to write it down and maybe one day bring it to the people. And one day kind of work with it in a way that I can... It felt like I was being given certain tools and it would be extremely selfish for me to never to just use them for my own self. I know that having an experience years ago when after watching one particular movie, I was so almost depressed about going, wow, I have been writing these things forever and I am too chicken shit to do something with it and to bring it out (laughs) and almost feeling like, um, I mean, as they say, usually nature gives things to more than one person instead of in, in case one of them doesn't have the balls or doesn't mm-hmm. make the time to express them. And I was like, wow, I've been given those things. I've been given this nervous system. I've been given this mind. And if I am too small to do something with this, somebody else will. I mean, it's like the, I know that also with the Newton theory, there was a few people who came up with it at the same time. Newton was just the first. And feeling like how I don't want to play small around it. That it felt like that was one of the unique things that were coming through me. And it would be selfish to not be a channel to them. So it was beautiful when after that I met uh, David J. Brown, who also before that was one of my favorite psychedelic teachers and somebody I was really looking for, up, up to. And we totally clicked and started co-facilitating workshops in which I was able to give those tools a voice, an expression, a format. And it was amazing to see how much people were getting out of it, especially around their last experiences. Okay, so could you go into some of those tools? I mean, so so essentially, are you do you work with people directly before they do the medicine, and then they come out of the medicine, and then you work with them uh, shortly thereafter? Yeah, I don't work with people under an influence myself, right. but um, I have the, I usually in my retreats uh, in the first two days I teach people the tools so so they can have their own toolkit to navigate the experience, to know how to shift how to shift between different states, to know kind of their own makeup and how to make the most out of it, as well as how to interact with the space because a lot of us we are taught to surrender, we are taught to take it in and let her do the work, but it can be a relationship. And that's also something that very few people talk about is how to make it as an interaction. It is we can ask Ayahuasca for things, we can request things, we can work with her instead of just be have her work on us. So I know that for a lot of places it's okay to be passive and receive and surrender. And there is also many more things one can do. And also between the ceremonies, I do different workshops which help people get in touch with different parts of their life and how to put it in a way that they can work with ayahuasca with them. I help them identify, so to say, emotional virusware, the way I call it, which is um, a lot of us have programs of fear or programs of self-criticism, programs of existential doubt, programs that usually come from all kinds of backgrounds that served this one upon a time, but now they're kind of more of emotional saboteurs. 
And when those programs kick in in psychedelic experiences, they can pretty much create a horror trip. So also how to know those programs in advance and know their essential qualities so we don't get hijacked by a paranoid part of our personality or we don't get hijacked by inner critic who's trying to beat us up while being in a deep psychedelic state. So I, I help people also get to know themselves and give them tools of how to work with those things in ceremony. And afterwards, I also have a system that is specifically for integration with tools that help people to take what they have learned during the ceremonies and have techniques to remind themselves of who they are and how they make choices and live life from then on. So it's not just some experience they had somewhere in Peru one day. And for people who cannot come to my retreats, also I work over Skype, so sometimes people call me to get the tools before they go do a ceremony with someone who can be in a different continent or a different country, and then sometimes after that in order to make the most out of the integration process. Since there are amazing shamans out there and some of them really don't speak English, or, have, or don't make a point to work with those experiences in depth or to prepare people. It's kind of two different skill sets. What do you do in the space and also how do you prepare people and how do you help them integrate? So I'm the before and after girl, as I was telling you. Yeah, I, I, love, I love that. That's great. So I am, uh, I would love it if you could speak more about, uh, our inner demons, if you will, and so these sort of psychological programs that undermine and trip people up and can cause a really rough experience. So how would you, uh, just speaking to that aspect, how would you counsel people to kind of manage that for themselves before they go into something like this? Uh, for example, we have some, I mean, I have a lot of background in a lot of different kinds of psychotherapy, mm-hmm. and some of my favorite have been Hakami, which is body and uh, experience-oriented psychotherapy and voice dialogue, as well as a variety of different tools. So in some of the workshops, we identify what are the personal demons of someone. And I don't want to call them demons, because once you get to know them, they have such good intentions and such horrible strategies to go about those intentions. Well, I think demons have a bad name, many of them. (laughs) Some of them have earned it, but others, mm, not so. (laughs) And that's why, I mean, in some of the systems, like internal family system that I've studied, they're called protectors mm-hmm. um, because they mean well. They just do strategies to once upon a time help the survivor pretty questionable childhood and now later in life are really making it hard to thrive. So, for example, a lot of people, a lot of my clients also in my psychotherapy practice, so that applies journey work as well as just for life, have a very strong inner critic. And that's the voice that starts focusing on what's what's missing, what's wrong, and starts making you wrong. And you can bring that one in ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. You can go in there and start beating yourself up for you're not sitting straight, you did this experience, or sometimes if she shows you experiences to look at. And she has a really gentle way of going, hey, this is what's going on. But it's, she's not blaming. But the inner critic can, can take the information and make it into self-blame and make it into something to beat yourself up with. Or the inner paranoia, kind of the fear voice that is extremely creative about coming with worst-case scenarios and diving deep in there. A lot of people live in that place. A lot of my 
normal psychotherapy clients come with very strong inner paranoids or anxious voices that are trained to look for the danger, look for the worst thing that can ha possibly happen. But in a journey space, that can create easily a horror trip or extremely scary experience. Not because of the experience, but because of what that program does with it. Right, I know right. people who can easily go into, oh my God, I'm starting to go here. What if I never come back? Mm -hmm. And that can be the beginning of the next four hours. Horrible way to spend your ayahuasca experience. Yeah. So I also help people identify those things in themselves and know how what it feels like. I mean, in, in the workshops, we interview them. It's almost like taking that part, putting it, giving it in a different chair and going, hi, good to meet you. So let me know about yourself. How do you operate in that person? What do you want for them? Um, what triggers you? Like, how do you see the person? Like, what are you afraid is going to happen if you don't do the, your job? And um, how old are you? Often, then, then people often find out being guided by this five to eight o'clock, uh, five to eight year old scared parts who sound like with these big scary voices in their head but they're actually scared scared children different place where they can still do those good intentions they're trying to do but in a way that serves the person versus puts one down or scares us or devalues us so that when people in journey space and those programs kick in they can straight away recognize them and I give them tools how to switch because usually we do have also biologically when um, emotional malware, the way I call them, kicks in. It takes about 20-something seconds until um, our glands catch up. And then once the glands get activated and start pushing the fear or the anger or the depression hormones into our blood, then it's a little harder to shift. Then it takes at least 15 minutes or more unless you continue the story. So I help people recognize it and knowing how to shift it straight away. So it's almost prevention versus cure. Yeah, excellent. So it gives them tools to know which voices to listen to and if one of the other voices comes up to straight away what else to ask for or who else to turn to so that they don't have to entertain energies that are not serving them. And usually if it's also similar with those voices as it is with some of those, I know that on ayahuasca sometimes people say that they can see demons Mm -hmm. and they can look like the psychedelic demons they can only have power if you give them enough of your attention to make them real so there is again also with some of those inner visions that are kind of more dark or scary potentially if you don't feed them very much at the beginning they don't have much power over you Right, right. if you right. give them a lot of attention then they become more and more real and something to deal with so there is a lot of things we can do at the very beginning when a process starts and I'm not saying that People should always avoid hard experiences. There is a lot of learning and a lot of growth that can happen in difficult spaces. So it is also, I give people tools how to switch the channel and go down a different road, but also sometimes how to go down the more difficult place with enough protection, with enough resources, and also how to develop their own kind of inner protector troops so the and, and divine supervision what I call it so that when they go to those difficult spaces and difficult emotional experiences they don't get re-traumatized they go they go in there with enough resources that they can really have the healing and maybe cry and grieve over the things that they can find
So it's not always about choose the happy road and just get out of there. It's sometimes it is about go in there, go in there with protection, with resources, with knowing how to craft your spells in a way that you can absorb and you can work with the information that comes up and work with the emotional experiences in a way that doesn't completely overwhelm you and break you down, but in a way that that comes bite-sized in a way that you can really process and reintegrate. Right, right. And and we all know medicine doesn't always taste so good going down, right? So... So yeah, uh, some, sometimes that uh, that challenging experience absolutely serves because the medicine is trying to uh, get something through to you. And for some people, you know, that's that's the uh, the most efficacious way. Not not for a lot of us, but for some people, surely. And for myself, it, it was at one point, and I did get the message. You know, this is interesting when you're talking about these different voices within us because I worked with this beautiful teacher, Brew Joy, and he's since passed. Uh, but he was like a master teacher. He taught for over 30 years, and he would tell us, to be a large group of us in the room, and he'd say, there are many, many more of you here than you can see. <laughs> in other yeah. words, you know, all of all of us come in with our posse of, of inner voices, uh, and I'm very familiar with the uh, voice dialogue work, which is amazing, amazing work. And uh, And so, you know, he would speak to how, you know, as we grow, uh, we really die many times in one lifetime, right? I mean, are you the same personality when you were three years old, when you were eight, 12, 17? No, you're very vastly different. So where did those personalities go? And, and they had specific experiences, and they have integrated those experiences from that age and so they're all living inside of us and essentially kind of running us from the shadows or or functioning in the shadow part of ourselves and then you do something like ayahuasca and uh and yeah those voices or those uh, parts of ourselves can get activated and so if you are do not have that awareness uh you're you're right i mean it just can be a wild and hairy ride and and so and- I'm just yeah. so fascinated and so thrilled that you uh, are making this available to these people because I think it is essential, especially because ayahuasca is so popular now, right? There's so many people traveling to do this, and uh, and we really, really need uh, people like yourself who are uh, you know, functioning in this way to help people really thoroughly prepare and then to integrate afterwards. Yeah. It's true. I mean, and some of those parts come up to be healed in ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. They call her uh, psychotherapy and steroids. <laughs> because yes. she does have the ability to do amazing healing and really deep psychological work in the realms of the verbal and way of the preverbal. And as you were saying, that we do have different parts, and some of the parts that do work are our Buddhas and our extremely high, high intelligent parts. The parts of us that are so connected with cosmic consciousness, the really, I mean, also the higher self parts, if 
I mean, I know a lot of people have a controversial feeling about the use of higher self, but the part of us that is extremely wise, that has the answers, that has the blueprint for our perfect health and our psychological well-being. So as much as I work with the parts that are not so developed and are holding some trauma or holding some pain and some less adaptive strategies, I also help people get in touch with their wisdom parts, with the, with the parts of them that are extremely strong, have the answers, and also how to call for those. I mean, one of some of the techniques I teach are how to interact with the space and with yourself. And sometimes just calling for the part of you that knows how to do something is even more powerful than asking ayahuasca to help you to do that something. Yes, you know, Brew, Brew used to say uh, when, you know, if you're in trouble or, or, you know, there's a challenge, he would say, channel the one who knows. Channel the part of you who knows. And uh, and I have done that a few times, and it works amazingly. It's like a, an instantly shifting states of consciousness and accessing another very highly uh, capable part of our uh, mindset or or soul posse or however you want to think of it. And uh, and it absolutely works. I mean, I actually you know I had to do it once anyway. I had chickens, and I had to call uh, a rooster because I couldn't find home for him and he was attacking my children basically and so you know I had to do the dirty deed was awful but uh, what I did was I I thought of what Bruce said and I channeled the farmer and it worked Mm -hmm. it worked and so you know Shauna could sort of leave the room and allow this much more capable and very wise uh, part Mm -hmm. to come through and, um, and, and get that done you know, effectively. Yeah. yeah, Exactly. And I teach people a series of questions and how to interact with the space. And that is because it is almost sometimes being deep in ayahuasca. It can be like in a way like being in the matrix. Like the, Mm -hmm. remember that part of the matrix where he has to drive a helicopter Mm -hmm. and he doesn't know how to. So he's like, I want to download the software for driving helicopter, beta Z 13, whatever it was, and then download complete and he comes in and drives it. Mm-hmm. So there is also partially the uh, if you call in for the part of you that knows how to do this. And on the other hand, it, it is sometimes like a cosmic Google. So the way you put, the way you make your spell, the, may, the way you make the request, the, may you, the way you make the question can be very important. Like in the way, in the, one of the schools for psychotherapy that I studied, which was the recreation of the self, which also taught me that one technique to ask for the part of you that knows how to blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the trainer, John Eisman, was uh, using a very good uh, analogy, which was that the unconscious is like a dog. If you tell it, if you're going to give it a bone and throw it, and it's going to go and start looking for and bring you the bone you ask him to bring you. So if you go in the space and go and start asking questions like, why is it that I can never have what I want? Why is it that I'm so fucked up? Why is it that I always live in fear? horrible bone to to throw that dog (laughs) because then the whole experience can go oh that's what you want me to look for evidence for well let me look so I also like help people really recognize when they're making dangerous spells because like when you make a 
a question or a statement in there which has a limited view of yourself, limited view of reality, or sees you as broken, sees reality as an unfriendly place that is doing bad things to you, then that's the paradigm you're starting to call for. And yes, ayahuasca is extremely intelligent spirit, so very often she will correct you anyway, but also the, you're going against the current. Okay. So also okay. how to help people recognize this and make it into the spells they do want to have, <laughs> which do see themselves as whole. And they're asking for the results they do want, not for why is it I can't have what I want. Right. Because then they're calling in for a completely different circuit and they're getting a very different experience. Okay, Marianne, yeah. you have used the word, I'm so, I love this, you've used the word spell four times now. And uh, we're going to talk, or you're going to talk about this, because the uh, the beings or the community, I call them beings, uh, that I work with as a result of my work with a, a mushroom medicine, they speak in terms of spells. And they say, it's all spells. It's all spells. And, uh, and here you are. You've used that word four times talking about the spells that we can essentially cast. And so uh, I'd like you to... Uh, just kind of riff on that for for a bit here. What do you what do you what are you talking about here? And I guess this is like making like information units in a way that mm-hmm. they can uh, call in the energies and the results that you want. And for example, before every ceremony, I help uh, people come up with their intentions. Mm-hmm. And often people word their intentions in a way because the intentions are also spells. Mm-hmm. The intentions, like when we say, "Hey, Alaska, help me with this and this," or "I want this and this," um, the way we word them. And how we craft them, because if we do want to go for to Africa, we can ask for, I want to be in Africa at this time, or we can ask for an airplane. If we ask for an airplane, that doesn't mean we're going to get to Africa. We might just get an airplane, and whether it has gas, maybe it crashes halfway, maybe it goes somewhere else. Mm-hmm help people to see what do you really want and how to make the intention in a way that it's crafted in a way to get you the results that you want. Not just let you know the causes of why you don't what you can't. Why not not just like show you the where you're being in your own way. That all has benefits but actually to get you to Africa. And if you're going to Africa in order to get healing of the kidney, then you can even skip skip Africa. Then you're asking for the healing of the kidney. Right. <laughs> so it's also to really help people. What are you trying to ask for when you're setting those intentions and to make the intentions in a way that it's really calling from the cosmic Google and from the healing powers of the intelligence of ayahuasca, the results that you want. And sometimes people are going like, I want to get rid of fear. I'm like, well, the unconscious does not understand negatives. It's a little bit like if you say, I don't want to think about pink elephants, then conscious hears pink elephants, pink Mm -hmm. elephants. So instead of, I want to get rid of fear, you ask for, I want peacefulness and confidence. Or if people say, I want to know where this comes from, I'm like, and if you know where this comes from, what is the result going to be? Oh, then I'm going to be healthy and happy and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, then you want to be healthy and happy. We can add on the reasons, but you don't want to just ask for the reasons and the causes. Right. So it's as much about the words, which are spells in and of themselves. And so, so this is just so interesting. So you're saying crafting, crafting your intention. I mean, it sounds... You know, like we're talking about witchcraft in a way, and and really, uh, there's 
a lot of similarities. There's not a whole lot of differences between what we would sort of think of as a shaman or a medicine person and a, uh, a, a witch. I mean, you know, you are uh, uh, working with spells. There's just sort of different descriptions. Anyway, I'm just finding this very fascinating, Mariana, and, and, and ultimately uh, incredibly empowering because, you know, most people don't even realize that they can do something like that. You know, they have no clue that they can uh, sort of harness all of that within themselves because they're so accustomed to looking outside of themselves. You know, you tell me what to do. You tell me how it works, you know. So, yeah. Like I see that a lot of the way um, Westerners approach ayahuasca, it's a little bit like the the way religion used to be when the shaman is becoming the priest. Mm Mm-hmm. When they're being told that when you need help, ask the shaman. When you need help, ask the shaman. They're not being told any particular tools, or they're not being empowered for direct communication. So there is almost like God might come to you from a higher place and might bless you, but it's not that you can start communing with it. And that almost there is a lot of power given the shaman and the tradition of the shaman, which is kind of the priest who is the middleman, or the tradition is this place that is holding the context, but not empowering people to have their own direct line mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also to use their own tradition. And some of the tools that I teach is also helping people get in touch with their own tradition, with their own archetypes, with their own symbols. Yeah. It's yeah. really are powerful for them and have they, that they have deep emotional connection with because very often we are from a different tradition than the shamans. So when the shamans are calling in on their protectors and on their deities and on their spirits that they have relationship with they don't mean anything to us yes so right. also how to empower the inner shaman who can have their own support teams so that when we're deep in there that we can call on our own forces that we are in touch with which are often they can come from many different places than the tradition of the shaman and to help people identify those things so that they can come in prepared and well armed with support troops so to say That's beautiful. One of my um, shaman teachers in the Yucatan, uh, Miguel Angel, he's just lovely. And he said to me once, Shauna, I give you these teachings not to give you my power, not to give you my ancestors. No, to open you to your own power. And I never (laughs) forgot that. And then also, uh, I'm big into bloodlines these days. And and, and I know the blood coursing through my body is, it's Celtic, and it's North Germanic. It's that old European uh, uh, bloodline. And, And when you trace back long before the Romans came and imposed their you know, cult of Christianity and their laws and all this stuff on us. Um, our, uh, or my people were deeply, deeply connected to nature, deeply connected to the trees and the sacred streams and the stones. And they were, uh, many of them were working with uh, plant medicines, of course, of course. And so there were uh, what you could think of as shamans in those cultures, you betcha, you know, that just mm-hmm. uh, looked very different. But that is in me, I, that is in my DNA, and that's been revealed to me on the mushroom. And so, yes, when you're speaking of this, I am going back to my my ancestors way, way, way back, and I've called them to me. And then, as a result, synchronicities occur. I'm led to this, which leads me to this, and I find that book and this person, and it has opened up a whole new world. Absolutely amazing. So thank you for bringing that up. It's just wonderful. 
I really like what your teacher said. Yes. It's really valuable. And that's, that's one of the phrases I keep using is how to empower one's own inner shaman. Because we all come from different lineages with different codes, with different um, energies that we connect with, with different ways that we, with almost with different powers in some ways. Because often psychedelics open us to abilities that we have that we often didn't know about. And how to know how to listen for those things and to look for those things and to feel the power of those things versus to look outside for that person who hopefully is amazing I mean I'm really I, I have huge respect for working with very powerful shamans but also how to know to look within with the same honor and with the same reverence for the inner and wisdom and the inner shaman right right in this culture you know we're given mediators you know I mean that's that's how it's been sort of with our uh, conventional, religions and uh and then even in you know in public school and whatnot i mean you're just you're just taught to look outside of yourself to this external authority and politically and whatnot so yeah this is a whole new uh deal so okay so with all of this in mind then all right so someone has worked with you and they've done the ayahuasca and then it's the integration piece and also how then do they bring all of this into their day-to-day life because then they have to go back home and uh, re-embrace their life, of course, in a different way. So, so how do they do that, Mariana? Um, the way I say sometimes that integration starts with the experience. So, and that's what I teach people who work with me is when they do have some deep experiences of inner joy, of self-love, of acceptance, of seeing the big picture, of forgiveness, that that's the moment to almost make the first spell. I mean, again, I'm not going to use the word spell, but it's almost like invocation, which is from now on, I want to live from that place. I want that place to become a part of my core formula from where I live live from so that you almost have the experience and you draw it to your inner center to that place that where you come from to the core of your being so it's not just an experience you had but something that you became Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is as powerful when it happens in the moment of having the experience because, because I know that a lot of people say integration is after and for me integration starts in the experience as long as you take the experience and you start going from now on I wanted you to be a part of how I weave my reality and um, also after the ceremonies um, I hear from people what kind of experience they've had and especially often since when I teach people the tools of how to ask and how to interact, they do have some really deeply powerful experience of self-love or forgiveness. Since we also learn how to call in for some emotional qualities sometimes, that's that's a part of the program. And then when they have had those experiences to also be clear, like to to anchor them in the body so that they almost start having relationship with that part of them that was so deep in self-love and knew about the perfection of the self or about the lovability of the self or about the preciousness of life so that we can really anchor and sometimes I use also NLP tools to anchor that experience because it is not something you read it is not something you heard it is not something that some guru told you your body was there your being was there every cell of your body got it at that moment right it so was direct to, so also how to use that version of yourself which at that point is a past self as uh, a guide a teacher a best friend 
who you can develop and continue a very intense relationship with. So it's not that one time in Peru where I felt, felt self-love. Self -love. We make it so that you really deepen that, the, the experience with that version of yourself who was so deep in that experience. And you cuddle with them. You call them when you're PMS. You call them when you're angry. <laughs> you kind of you know how to call them in your body and how to uh, work with the anchors of them. And I know I have had myself extremely powerful experiences when being in really dark moods and going like, what am I doing? Like, I know I know better. And calling in on parts of me that have been ayahuasca ceremonies, knowing the big picture, <laughs> basking in the perfection of it and, and the lovability of life and myself and going like, okay, I'm stuck here. I'm in a victim movie. Can you, like, get me out? And calling them in and putting them next to me and giving them a time frame to do the work and then being in deep listen five minutes. So I know that it can be very powerful if we remember to call them, if we remember to evoke them, if we remember to moving them, to breathing them. And I mean, one of the biggest tool, like always, is remembering to use your tools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, because it just it's so knee-jerk to go into the reaction. And so it's like you have to break these old patterns. You have to interrupt that knee-jerk and... Uh, yeah, and I think of this also as, as, as self-nurturing, because that's really what the mushrooms taught me how to do very highly effectively, just like what you were saying, is to self-nurture. And, uh, and, and, uh, that, and, and that is going within to the resources that I have developed as a result of working with that medicine. And, and it has changed everything. And I've spoken with people who've experienced the same kind of thing, and truly their life changes and it, it sounds so uh hokey like when you change your whole life changes but guess what it's, that's because it's true it's not some new age nonsense i mean it really when you change on that deep a level your whole approach to uh different areas of your life changes right and so when you change your approach you know you start getting different results whether this you know, it has to do with relationships, you know, love relationships or friends or work or, you know, whatever it is. Okay. Uh, we get yeah. locked in mindsets. And so ayahuasca or the mushrooms uh, or other uh, of these uh, extraordinary visionary substances will unlock that mindset and, uh, and open to some really extraordinary possibilities. And I do see, I have noticed, uh, a number of people I just see in the, the ayahuasca community who seem to keep going back and back and back over and over and over and over and over. You know, like I've talked to people and, oh yeah, I've done ayahuasca 120 times. And I'm like, w why? I mean, what? Uh, uh, and, and you want to know, I, I, well, and I just wonder, you know, like, are you just seeking that peak experience? Like, what have you learned? Uh, mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? And because and, I would think you've encountered some of that as well in your travels. For sure. And just, I just, I just had a quick thought when you were talking before. It's mm -hmm. such a hologram that in the moment we change, our vibration changes and what we attract changes. Yes. It's just a hologram. And it's more just in mind patterns. It's actually mm -hmm. a 
inner energetics because sometimes ayahuasca has worked in part of me there were more big personality parts or big energetic parts that were way verbal so it was way beyond mind yes. when she was going you're here but you should be here crack i'll put you here almost like deep personality chiropractic mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and as you were saying for the people who do it again and again and again and again I have seen, I remember after my very first journey when she did the big download about everything and me asking her at the end, so do I have to do it again? And she said, no, you don't. I mean, you can, but no, you don't have to anymore. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> and she had a handle, then later in life when I had done it again, getting so many benefits. So I know that some people do it almost every few weeks to a month, and I also have worked with clients who are extremely depressed, suicidal, where um, then after getting off meds, they had to go, they started doing ceremonies, and where it took them a while to actually overcome the depression to work with ayahuasca to a place where she finally showed them what the depression is and that it's not them and finally led them to a place of self-love you know what i mean so if it's mm-hmm. some certain more serious condition it can take multiple ceremonies yes and that, that makes so perfect sense said about every once in a while then revisiting again because sometimes maybe in the middle you had a heartbreak mm-hmm. or you had a place where somebody died and you you're in a so there is a place for every once in a while revisiting and getting the cosmic reset and on the other hand on the other hand on the other hand the other hand yes they call it a spiritual mouthwash a <laughs> spiritual <laughs> mouthwash <laughs> <laughs> when you do it just regularly to go okay I went to church so I'm good <laughs> and uh on the other hand, also depends how it's being used, because I also know in Brazil, a lot of those works, they're done for the planet. They're not done for the individual anymore. So I know that if somebody goes into those ceremonies in order to do planetary good or in order to pray for the environment, go for it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Hey. Yeah. Speak to that, Mariana. What do you know about that? Um, I know that we all get called for different things, and I know that especially with ayahuasca, you can have influence in things bigger than you. And I know that, I mean, in Brazil, I know that a lot of what they do, the works, is for the planet and is for the big picture. I also know that um, we all have different callings about that and different formulas, and yes, we can ask for healing for other people. I still remember one time in Goa in a ceremony way when when I realized there was a woman who was like screaming up her head, she was reliving something about incest. And it's hard to say she was disturbing because she was just loud. Mm -hmm. And I remember being Mm -hmm. deep in a state and going like, okay, I want her to stop crying. And then she stopped crying. And I was like, yay, okay, that was good. Mm -hmm. And then this other kind of ayahuasca voice came and went like, do you want her to stop crying or do you want her to heal? I'm like, oh, shit, no, I actually want her to heal. And then she started crying again. <laughs> so there was also the understanding that sometimes, and I know that, that people have gone through the big pain of white people, for example, reliving the pain of African-American slaves, I mean, African slaves being taken to, to America, or reliving the pain of whole ethnic groups, or going through the pain of their whole lineage. Uh, where it's about ancestral unburdening, the pain of the mother and the grandmother and the, so on. So some of it is for our own lineage, some of it can be for social groups. I remember one time when she showed me these extremely powerful tools for 
self-healing and for alignment of psychological and of life energies and she had she had done such an amazing healing in me and i was like wow i got the tools i'm just gonna make them like global scale i'm just gonna take those tools and imagine the earth and humanity and i'm just gonna do exactly what you just showed me and i'm gonna heal humanity and i remember at that point actually this big four entity showing up and going no little girl you're not allowed (laughs) (laughs) and they're like no 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 you're here to cultivate a different frequency and if you do that you're gonna have to feel so much pain that's gonna crush you and you're not allowed Mm. and i remember going like but i can feel pain i can be like i can take one for the team i'm if i feel humanity and then just noticing how much ego was behind those words and I'm like okay I'll listen but I also know that there is a lot of for people who are called and sometimes it's a calling sometimes it's something that just comes and I know of people who have, they have, who have been able to hold such an amount of deep despair for humanity in order to come on the other side inside in the deep bliss and they knew they were going for the collective and I have had that one mushroom ceremonies where I know I was going through a really deep, painful experience that was for me and at least two other people who had had similar trauma. The, the two were dissociated at that point. But uh, knowing, and there was a very deep knowing, wow, I'm going for, through that for them. And I know that also, in and I had the strength of, psycho at that moment it was excruciating and that's why i also learned some of my transpersonal tools and how to use them how to use the witness to be with extremely hard experience but it was very clear that i was doing healing for more than myself and exactly for who who the people were that i was taking that on for because i had the strength for the system to work through this and i could work through this it would be also for them so, I mean, there is from smaller scale, you yourself and your ancestors or you and a group of people to bigger scale where it's about the planet, the environment or whole ethnic groups. Okay, so question. So as this was for uh, people who you knew and you went through that experience for them, then did you discuss it with them later? Did they feel it on some level? I did not discuss it with them later, no. Okay, was was there any, did you notice any kind of shift in them? Uh, yes, to a degree. I mean, one of them was possessed by, by an entity at this point. <laughs> so it was also hard to, yeah, I, I could have discussed it to him to a degree because I know that he was not there as his, his own self at this point. But after my own experience, that yes, there was a shift. It's hard to tell. It's, of course, um, and also in the traditions, in the more original traditions, it was the shaman who was drinking the ayahuasca, not the people he was working for. Mm-hmm. So people would come to the shaman with the desire for healing or with the desire for whatever intentions they had, and he wouldn't give them ayahuasca. He will be the one drinking so that he can go to the spirit realms and do the healing or find the information. So also I know that in a lot of traditions, ayahuasca was only drunk by the shaman who would do the work for the whole tribe hmm. or for people who came to him. Hmm. Interesting. Um, it, and it sounds like your first ayahuasca shaman was a woman. Is that correct? Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about her? Yatra. Yeah, I mean, I... Uh, she wouldn't say much at the beginning apart from the if you die it's okay and it was like I don't know it was, she was so amazing in holding the space she still works in Brazil she has a center in Alto Paraiso mm-hmm. and I'm actually thinking maybe one day to do a group with her um, or to bring it to bring a group to her she does I mean from what I know right now she works with an amazing band of musicians um, I was impressed by the way she held space 
and um, she was, I wouldn't want to say hardcore, but she was not the lovey-dovey type, and she still had such an inner strength and such a solid container that I have a lot of respect for. I know that there are different people, and everybody has a different character. Some people are more the, more the motherly type. Mm-hmm. Some people are more oh. the the wise elder, like I did one of my first retreats with Adela, who is now almost 80 years old, who is current there. She's been working with Ayahuasca since she was 11, and she held a very different space. I've worked with some women, and I've been very impressed by by a lot of also what they bring. Hmm. Hey, so before we finish, I know you're going to be doing a a retreat with Rack Razam. Do you want to talk about that? In April, uh, for my next retreat, I'm going to be joining forces with Rack as a co-organizer, and we're going to be having a retreat. It's a 10-day retreat with three different shamans. So we have uh, developed a system in which um, first people can experience Percy Garcia, who's one of those very deeply uh, indigenous and traditional Corandaros, who is uh, who's Peruvian and works in a very indigenous way, and he will be the introduction. So we're going to have two ceremonies with him and his center, then we're going to go and have a ceremony with Ron Wheelock, who is the gringo shaman who lives uh, nearby in Iquitos. Um when I first saw Rock, saw Ron, I thought, okay, that's some redneck who got expatted in Peru. I don't, I don't know what he can do. And then I saw him work, and I was so impressed. So, and I believe more in converting the non-believer. Very impressed by running his room. And the third uh, shaman is going to be a woman from Croatia who got tra- who was trained to be a shaman in Peru and ha- who has a center in Croatia, Borka Kafuk, and she also has some clairvoyant powers and healer powers. When I met her, she was able to diagnose. She she has the ability to diagnose people and what they're holding. And sometimes also we have almost entities that attach to us. I know that when she worked with one of my, she's diagnosing a friend of mine, and she was saying like, you have you have a demon in your belly, you have an entity in your belly that is holding you back, and we need to take care of this. And she gave her actually a free session. Um, to get a round, and that was the closest I've seen to an exorcism. And I know that that particular friend of mine had drunk at least a hundred times, so she was not a newbie. But it was the only session where she almost checked out, and there was a lot of screaming. And it it, it was very—I was the only other person in the ceremony, so it was very clear that that was they were battling that thing until it got out, and there was a change in my friend. <laughs> I was very impressed also by Borka's work, although she's not she's also not traditional Peruvian, but on the other hand she has been trained from traditional Peruvian. And she has been working with ayahuasca for a long time and has a center near Iquitos. So I have it's it's interesting. I'm really excited to see how this one is gonna go since we are opening it up with a very hard center, gentle, traditional shaman, then Ron who is very full spectrum. I see that he is comfortable working with the light and the dark. <laughs> he is kind of the no fucking around shaman. And he he has a very strong personality. And then at the end, there's going to be Borka, who is a very skilled healer and very skilled in realigning people, taking care of whatever rest of the healing needs to happen. And also when I was talking to Borka, um, she was saying that a lot of the work they do is the almost repairing the work from other shamans. That if people have worked in the past with ayahuasca, with shamans who were not of the highest integrity, and if any of that is still in their system, Borka, one of Borka's specialties is clearing those energies. 
So I am excited to have her as the last person, and also people are going to get the, the chance to experience to work with the frog medicine in Campbell at the end. That's going to be optional. They're going to be jungle walks too, and I'm going to be doing the workshops at the beginning, before the ceremony, between the ceremonies, and at the end for the integration part. And that's going to be the April retreat, and I will probably be doing a different retreat either in December or early next year. So if people are interested, um, when they, they go to my website, when they hover over events, a little menu opens up, and then they can click on retreats and see what's coming up. Or if people want to be kept in the loop, they can join my mailing list, and then they're going to get my mailings about different events and different retreats that I'm doing. Oh, Mariana. Okay, that sounds absolutely amazing. And and I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to have this conversation. It has been really just so fascinating talking with you. Same here. It's been really beautiful talking to you, too. And I actually am so looking forward to picking your brain in a different time in a personal environment. It sounds like you know a lot and you carry a lot of wisdom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You. Oh, yeah. I would I yeah. look forward to meeting you in person. Well, all right. We will... Uh, We'll stay in touch and uh, talk soon. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. And thank you for the interview. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. I sure wish that there was someone like Mariana around when our group uh, was first finding its way. And I'm not talking here about the ayahuasca group that I eventually found. I'm talking about the early days back in Dallas during the 80s. If you've watched my interview about those days, uh, the one that's titled Confessions of an Ecstasy Advocate, then you've got some kind of an idea of what I'm talking about. Not only didn't we know much about the correct dosage of the stuff that we were ingesting, the only information we had about what was going on uh, once you dropped acid or something like that was Lyrian Alpert's uh, pseudo-translation of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And believe me, it, uh, <laughs> it wasn't very comforting. At least to me it wasn't. And maybe I shouldn't exclude my early ayahuasca years now that I think of it, because even though I'd read a lot about the experience before my first time, I was uh, still very nervous about it. And then, uh, (laughs) a few minutes before I was about to begin that experience, a close friend of mine, who was very experienced with ayahuasca, I should add, came over to me and uh, whispered in my ear, It's a great night to die, don't you think? (laughs) And then he walked away and left me in the darkness to have my first ayahuasca experience. And did I mention the fact that that particular night was the one that the Catholics call Good Friday? Which always seemed a bit strange to me, uh, calling it a good day. But let's leave the theology to the priests for now and uh, move on here. So, in my opinion, to have people like Mariana available to talk with before and after an intense psychedelic experience, well, in my opinion, it's exactly the direction that we should be heading in. And, uh, by the way, I'll put those links that Mariana mentioned, uh, I'll put them in today's program notes, which you can get to via psychedelicsalon.us. I'm sorry that I didn't get this out sooner, but if you are interested in Mariana's workshop and individual training schedules, you'll find it all on her website. And while I've not yet met Mariana in person, and while I do have a bit of experience with ayahuasca, I'm here to tell you that uh, she surprised me with some new information and uh, ways of looking at things that, well, that I've been missing all these years. Hopefully we'll get to listen in on a conversation between these two medicine women one day when they discuss psilocybin, magic mushrooms. 
But for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be careful out there, my friends. <laughs>